Journey with me to Acts 1. Acts 1. As you're turning to Acts 1, um, we think about the fact that uh, what is the, the power of the ascended Christ? What difference does that make? You heard Psalm 24 and the question about who is this king of glory? And that is such a great question. Wasn't that heaven didn't know? Wasn't that the Father didn't know? The question is for each one of us. Who is this king of glory? In fact, the Old Testament um, just has, has beautiful language to be able to just talk to us about this. In fact, in Proverbs 30, verse 4, it says these words in the same poignant, piercing question. Who has gone up to heaven and has come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in cloak? Who has established all ends of the earth? What is his name and what is the name of his son? Huh. In this beautiful wisdom literature, the reality unfolds in the minds of the listeners to take them beyond the realm of the physical into the realm of the spiritual. Solomon himself, who could only see dimly what that which his soul screamed to know more about, the deep truth that transcends this world and brings our hearts to the brink of something or someone that can only be grasped by drawing further than what our own capacity can handle. Jesus said to Nicodemus the same thing. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So what is the importance of the ascension of Christ what does it matter to you today? As we look at this passage, uh, we'll, be, we'll be traveling through God's word together, but as we look at this passage, it opens up in the fact that, that Jesus appears uh, to them o over a 40-day period and spoke about the kingdom. And so Jesus was in the flesh, walking and talking and eating, as we know, in front of these guys. But on one occasion, they said... Um, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak of. For John the Baptist, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, right? And they said, okay, now, if that's true, then, then, um, then is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know. The times or the dates of the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And it's an amazing thing when you just want to stop there and say, Wow. God is the only one that can bend the universe. God is the only one that can, can make something happen that's impossible. And we live in a world in which we see the impossible every day. This was such an important thing uh, that happened that two other gospels um, 
brought this account to be. Luke 24, 5 says that while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Mark 16, 19 says this, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Which is a very, very important phrase that we'll be talking a bit about as we go through this time. You know, it's a general agreement that um, heaven is a definite location and that its location is up. Uh, From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has revealed to his people that just like hell, there is a heaven and that its location is above us. From Jacob dreaming of a ladder with angels ascending and descending on it and it says that there above it stood the Lord. Elijah taken in a whirlwind up toward heaven. And of course, what I said from the Proverbs in chapter 30, who has gone up to heaven? And yet we don't believe that, or at least in this world it's not believed, because when a Russian Russian cosmonaut had come back from his space voyage, in defiance of his atheism, he said these words, when I was up there, I didn't see God, Jesus, or heaven. Revealing that heaven is not of our dimension, is not of our physical eyes, but it is of our spiritual eyes. When we think about the work of Christ and we think about what he's done, um, in the theological world, there's two definitions, two states that are defined of what he's done. The first state is the state of humiliation, and the second is of exaltation. Humiliation is the work of the incarnation, the suffering, and death, and burial. It speaks of the accomplished work of the obedience of the second Adam on behalf of all humanity. The suffering of the life on earth, the suffering of the road to the cross, his absolute death on the cross, and for three days buried in a grave. It accomplished being the perfect sacrifice as the lamb that was brought to that sacrifice. The death on the cross became the death of sin. And only new creation passes through the cross. Nothing else does. The the grave brought the eternal final resting place of sin's effect on the lives of believers. And as the chorus in one of our contemporary songs says, living he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. Amen? That, of course, moves us into the exaltation. The second state, the exaltation, is the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, the session at the right hand of God, and his return in glory and power. We certainly know the work of the resurrection. Those who believe the fact that the enemy that once held our hearts captive in death, now we have new life and we don't fear death because we have already died. And we also understand the work of his coming back again, that he is the ultimate conqueror that he will return as Lord over all the universe. For he said to us in in, um, Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. All authority. And so there is a coming judgment. 
Christians will be a judge according to their deeds done in faith and non-Christians according to their rebellion and rejection of his invitation to the kingdom of God. And so our scriptural reference and exploration today will be into the ascension and the session of the right hand of God, which is important to the age of grace in which we now live. As we think about the ascension of the Messiah, there were a few questions that came to my mind. Maybe there are others that have come to yours. But ones that came is, did the Messiah really know that he would ascend into heaven? Was that something that he brought as he lived his life on this earth? Second, what are the, what are the benefits of the ascension? Third, what are the doctrinal significance to my life that I can believe? And finally, how does the ascension shape my life? And so in answer to the first question, did the Messiah know that he was ascended into heaven? There is so many scriptures that, re- that reflect that, but just a few. In John seven thirty three, Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. John 14, 12 says this very truly, I tell you that whoever believes in me will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. The very fact that we can do greater things than what Jesus did on this earth is the fact that he's with the Father and that he knew this. And the greater things are done in just what you just did. It's done in prayer. That's the context of that passage. It's done as your heart cries out to God, as your soul connects with him. That is where the greater things happen. It isn't in, in, even in the exercising of our gifts outwardly for the Lord. It is in our heart before God, crying out for those. And for those things that he places on our heart. And John 16, 28 says, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Absolutely, he knew. So that point of the shortness of Jesus on earth is an indication to us that you know what? The greater things are happening right here in the midst of us. That in the midst of believers, in the midst of a church that is abandoned before God, the greater things are happening here. Jesus knew that. He believed that. The Messiah knew he was going to be here for a short time. The question is, do you believe that? Do you have an expectation of the greater work being done in and through you? It has been said that a family of God who lives in expectation of the greater work will actually experience the greater work. Do you live in such a way? It's so interesting when you start a church plant, like we did, and you have 25 people. I actually start out with 13 people. Um, and then we were in uh, the... Um, the living room of, uh, of uh, 50 Elwell Street, uh, and it grew to 25. And then from there we started in this building. Do you know what the permeating thought was over us? The expectation of God doing what he said he was going to do. We're going into our ninth year. There is no human reason 
why a church should meet in this building at this time, except for one thing, and that is the power of the ascended Christ, who said that in the pier, the greater things would happen than what he did on this earth. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Because of him, in your heart, greater things. Is that what you wake up to each morning? That's what Jesus woke up to. That's what he believed. He walked obediently into what, the, what his father called him to do because he believed in what he could do through you. I think that's crazy. And I think if church catches that fire, it'll be unstoppable. So why should I expect greater works? It's because the benefits of the ascension. What are those benefits? The first one is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father with supreme power, dignity, and judgment. Psalm 110.1 says, um, it's a picture of this truth. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 1 Corinthians 15 says the same thing, that all authority has been given to Jesus until every enemy is brought underneath him. And you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to hand it to the Father. He's going to hand it to the Father. Done. Done. Over with. He has all authority. This is the picture of the king in glory that, that the psalmist talks about. Paul knew this, and through the Holy Spirit told us this in Ephesians 1, 19b through 21. He says this, that power... The Holy Spirit power that's given by the ascended, you'll find out that later, the Holy Spirit power given by the ascended Messiah is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised that Messiah from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And every name that was, is invoked not only in the present age, but what? It, also in the one to come. We're the one to come. We're the one that's coming. He was talking about us in there. Not just this present age, but the ones to come. The ages to come. And so Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, supreme power, dignity, and judgment. Second of all, Jesus' ascension gives him the authority to give gifts to the believers. Ephesians 4, 7-8 says, But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, gifted it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. This passage references the Old Testament passage of uh, Psalm 68, 18, in which David was celebrating a victory over the enemy, and he was bringing the spoils and captives home, parading them before the people. Listen, people of God, Jesus has defeated Satan on the cross. And he has made a spectacle of him. And he is parading him before us by gifting us with the strength to overcome him. And as we utilize those gifts, if we give glory to God through our gifts, we show that reality to the world. 
And so he is the one that has given us that. Ephesians uh, 4 continues that thought. Listen to it. Eleven through thirteen, it says, "So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." And so the ascended Christ gives gifts, parades his enemy in front of us, our enemy, and says, now stand up, take the gifts I have given, take the spoils, and use them for the glory of God in wherever I set you. Third, the, Jesus' ascension completes the atoning for sin. Hebrews 9.12 says this, He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most high place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Hebrews 10.12 says, But when his priest has offered, uh, this priest has offered for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Our redemption was completed by Christ as he brought the perfect sacrifice to his Father and, sum, and submitted it to him and sat in the seat of authority next to him. That is, that is the benefit we have. Fourthly, Jesus' ascension brought intercession for all believers. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus today is praying for you if you're a believer and a follower of him, and your life is submitted, and your submission of your life is the answer to his prayer. Fifth, Jesus' ascension brought the Holy Spirit to us. Acts 2.33 says, Jesus, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see. I hear people talking about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as though it's something that they personally possess. In fact, there's a group of people that believe that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit almost makes a second class of Christianity. But it is the ascended Christ who pours out the Holy Spirit to us. It is his hand that gives us that baptism. And so, through Jesus Christ, every true believer receives this promised Holy Spirit in the way he determines. Hebrews uh, 6.19 says this. Excuse me. Sixthly, let me go there. Jesus' ascension paves the way to heaven. Hebrews 6.19, as I said, 2.20 says, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. The ascension gives us confidence of heaven only for those who have put their trust in Jesus. And seventh, Jesus' ascension reveals the triumphant king. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 describes a picture of Jesus sitting on a throne high and lifted up 
We know this to be true because through the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John in the 12th chapter, 41st verse, says that John quotes Isaiah and then says this. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. A triumphant king will sit down during his ascension to his new kingship. But then he gets to work. And that's what our Jesus is doing. Two other pictures of Jesus in Scripture shows us what Jesus is doing. First of all, when Stephen is stoned in Acts 7, the 56th verse, it says, Look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The king stands in honor of those who are willing to lay their life down for him. He stands in honor for those who abandon through their own spiritual death and resurrection their life and give it to him in honor and and in his glory. But also we see in Revelation 2.1, It says these, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. The king holds accountable everyone who speaks on his behalf. Every pastor, every person who speaks on his, he holds them accountable to speak the truth of the word. But he also is walking in and through his true church as he walks among the lampstands. And so Ryan was true he, in his song when he said, Jesus is in this place. Forgive us for that boring us. Forgive us for, for that um, us walking in a way that, um, that doesn't show him that we're in his presence. May we never allow our lives in such a way that we don't see the beauty of who he is in this place. Do you believe that? So the benefits of the ascension are that the Messiah is seated in the seat of authority, authority to distribute gifts, the power for atonement, the power for prayer, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, paving the way to heaven, and revealing of the triumphant king. We have won in him. Do we live that way? So what are the doctrinal significance for our lives? What are the truths that our lives can stand on because of these benefits? I want to know. Anybody here curious? I want to know. First of all, Jesus' ascension is the absolute assurance of our ascension. I find it interesting when people talk about about a death, and they say, well, they're in a better place. Somehow that has become such a comfort to our society. No talk about belief in Jesus Christ, no talk about following him, just, you know what, we're just in a better place. Well, you know, where do they get that from? Emotion. 
Because it's really hard to look at death when you don't know what's on the other side of death. And so you say something to try to calm your emotions down because deep inside of unbelievers is this realization, I really don't know what's on the other side. And so I gotta comfort myself on the outside to try to change my inside. Anybody know that doesn't work? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so the... And so the ascension brings our assurance that we too. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and what? Sat down to the right hand of the throne of God. That's where our focus should be. On Jesus He's our assurance. He went there, we're going there because of him. Not because of anything we do. Not because we get it all right. I was talking to somebody earlier um, and I said, you know, the, the one thing that men know is that they always do it wrong. No matter how hard they try. They always get it wrong, it seems like. And our beautiful wives always point it out. But isn't it amazing that we can't get it wrong with salvation because Jesus got it right. Jesus got it right. And in him, he's our righteousness. Now, obviously, my first comment was a bit of a, a just. But you know, some people live their Christian life that way. That somehow they got to get it all right. Somehow they got to do it just exactly this particular way and then they'll go to heaven. That does not mean that we can go off and live our life any way that we want. But in the ascension and in our faith in Jesus Christ, we have complete assurance. And I'm telling you something. Assurance is the undergirding to not sinning. It is. If I'm continuing to fall in sin, if I'm continuing to look for comfort in some other place than in Jesus Christ... I don't have assurance in his ascension. I don't. And I'm trying some way to comfort myself out of how I'm feeling inside because there's not an assurance. Today, if you're that way, if you're looking to things to comfort you, if you're looking for some kind of addiction to give you hope, if you're looking for some security in something of this world, here it is, Jesus. Now listen, he's the author, meaning he started, and he's the perfecter, meaning he's bringing it to completion. He is perfect. He is making you complete in his blood. You are complete. Live it. Say no to sin. Yes to his will. One of the other things that that I think doesn't bring assurance is when you know God is calling you to do something and you don't do it. Your soul's going, dude, you know what he asked you to do, and you're not doing it. It brings assurance. It brings assurance. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, After that, we who are still alive and are left to be caught, will be caught up together 
with him in the, in the clouds and to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Forever. Wow. Praise his name. Praise his name. Second thing is, Jesus' ascension gives us assurance of our real home. Do you ever wonder why you spend so much time on this home? It's not your real home. That doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of a place and shouldn't take care of this body. But it shouldn't be where our, our minds are obsessed with because this is not our home. John 14 says these words, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. It is a home. What a beautiful picture to remind ourselves that, yes, I mean, if I had a show of hands about how things seem like they're falling apart in this earth, we'd probably be in unity on that. But what a beautiful picture of the fact that it was always meant to. It was always meant to. Because there's really only one home. Stop putting your hope in the home that was never meant to be. And thirdly, so the ascension's absolute assurance of our ascension as absolute assurance of our real home. Also, our union with Jesus is, and in his ascension, gives us authority. When Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 10.1, as it says there, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. It's not so much important what he gave them authority over, but that he gave them authority. It was the authority to do the mission that they were called to do. It is the gift of authority that Jesus Christ gives to us. Now, it is a partial authority now, but someday we will share fully in this authority that is when, what is meant by Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The phrase with Christ and in Christ is so important because authority is not to be controlled or manipulated by me. It is transmitted only through my intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, disciples only had the authority that Jesus had determined. And so it is that authority that he gives us. And so authority to do what? Authority to do what? I think it's a great question because I think the church has been defeated because we don't know what the authority is. Well, Ephesians 6.12 says that, that um, in Christ we have the authority to contend against spiritual forces against those things in the heavenly realms. And we know that is going on. There is a freedom that the heavenly realms have had over us because we have not exercised that authority as a church. Bob and I sat in a, in a classes meeting in which we saw spiritual realm come into our meeting and speak lies 
in front of us in which somebody said these words, I have read scripture and I have come to the place where I believe that God is okay with committed same-sex marriage in our classes. People of God, as Bob expressed to me afterwards, he said, I, I felt intimidated. That is because there was an authority in that room that was not of God, it was an authority of the evil one. And I wish you'd pray for the CRC because this summer they're going to be, they're going to be the, the, uh, the Senate is going to be going over this. And I've read some of the notes on it. And it just amazes me how many people believe this. And uh, there is a deception that has gone over the world because God's people are not exercising the authority that they have been given to overcome. Second Corinthians 10.4 says that we've been given spiritual weapons to destroy stronghold in lives of people. Are you being overcome by a stronghold right now? Are you given into an addiction right now? Have you not repented of something that is a sin in your life? In Jesus Christ, you have the authority. You just don't know it. So get with brothers and sisters. And together in unity, believe the authority that you have to overcome the stronghold. It's interesting to me that the evil one wants us to stay quiet on our sin. We don't express it to each other. We aren't willing to be accountable to it. And that's exactly where he wants to keep you, to kill you. You have the authority in Jesus Christ to overcome strongholds, to say no to sin and yes to God's will for your life. You do. And it's time for us to stand up. In 1 Corinthians 6, 3, it says that in Christ we'll sit in authority and judge over angels. Have you ever experienced your ministering angel? I have. I have. He saved my life more than once. I've often referred to him as Jeb and uh, and that his wings have got to be tattered because I've put him through the mill. The Bible says that every believer has a ministering angel. And someday, you and I, even like Jesus, who was under the angels for a short time, but now is over, right, as the resurrected Christ, he put himself there, so we will be over angels. In fact, Peter tells us that angels look at a changed life and goes, I don't get it. How'd you do that to to Tracy? How did you do that to Tracy? We know what kind of woman she was before. (laughs) Now look at her. Still screaming. Love it. Love it. Now screaming for Jesus. Revelations 2.26 says that we have have authority to rule over nations. Revelations 3.21 says that in Christ we sit on the throne over the universe as Christ was victorious and sat with his father. It's in Christ. Authority to do what? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. So if Christ's ascension is our absolute assurance 
in Christ, our, our ascension, in Christ, our home, and in Christ, our authority, what holds us back from living into the fullness of this ascension? Or how does Christ's ascension shape our lives? As I was thinking about this, my mind was drawn to a particular parable that Jesus told. It was a parable of the soil. And my mind was drawn to what choked the seed and where the thorns sprung up. Anybody tell me what that, what that, what was happening there? What was happening? Why was the seed choked? Why were the thorns coming up? Say, yes, cares of the world. That's right. And what? The deceitfulness of riches. Yes, yes. Let me read it to you. He said, uh, in this King James Version, he also, um, he also that received see among the thorns, he is that heareth the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and be, he becomes unfruitful. Oswald Chambers said that this area alone is where he received the biggest pushback when it comes to talk about discipleship. The most common response to talking about the world and about uh, the trusting in the Lord was that, well, we have to live. We have to live. I dare you to find anywhere in Scripture where God tells you that the world provides you life. He says in the Psalms that he opens up his hands and all of creation is satisfied. We see the weakness of this world by the emptiness of the shelves in our stores. God said in Deuteronomy 8, 17, in warning the people about what he's going to, as he brings them into, the, into a place that they did not build houses or plant um, uh, vineyards or, or food, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. This is really the issue of the world. When we believe that somehow it was us that did it. But what, let's remind ourselves of what God says about the world. In 1 John five nineteen, he says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. How much of the world? Whole world. Whole world. Remember that. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. And James 4.4 says, Don't you know that the friendship of the world means enmity with God? Friend of the world, enemy of God. I want you to listen to your, to your Messiah's heart as he talked about this in the 17th chapter of John. Starting with the 11th verse, it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you, and this is this important, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. This gets into, I think, really the main punch of the message. The power of the name of God that protects us from the world and keeps us safe in the realm of Christ's ascension is his transcendence and his eminence. Transcendence is defined as to go beyond the limits or to separate from. It is God is not limited by the limits of this world. He is holy God living separate from our physical reality. His eminence is defined as remaining in, meaning God is remaining in the world by being active daily in the life of creation. Do you believe those two characteristics of God? You, you have to. But then they, so, so let, me, let me just, Ephesians 4, 6 is the verse that really kind of pulls those two things together. It says these words, um, One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Listen to the message of Eugene Peterson. It says, One God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are, think, and do is permeated with oneness in God. That's for the believers. So what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's taking the Shema from, from Deuteronomy 6, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and he's making the connection to the redemption of the cross, showing the fullness and the power that is available to all who receive by faith the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. It is the eminence of God that strengthens us to be present in the world. And it is the transcendence of God that strengthens us not to be of the world. Let me, let me just one other uh, passage that Jesus said in John. John 15, 18 through 19. Listen to what he says. It says, if the world hates you, keep this in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Wow. Let that, let that permeate down in your soul. The world hates us because of the power of the name of Jesus we're not caught up in obsessions and addictions and fears and drama and hopelessness. 1 Peter 4.4 4 says that they, the world, are surprised that you do not join in their drinking and smoking dope and, and all their obsessions and, 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 the, and all the things that the world encompasses. In their reckless, it's described as reckless wild living. And what do they do in, in response to that? They heap abuse on you. They heap abuse on you because you're not involved in what they're involved in. MacArthur says this about Ephesians 4, 6. He says, we are God-created, God-loved, God-saved, God-fathered, God-controlled, God-sustained, God-filled, and God-blessed. He is over all, through all, and in all. Okay. As we draw this to a conclusion, what's the importance of the ascension? 
because a life that is ascended with the Savior. You can't fake it. You can't make it happen. You can't manipulate it. But a life that is ascended with the Savior is a life that is transmitted out of the drama and out of the things of this world. And it, and, and it, is, it, it does not affect you the same way. Jay is sitting among us knowing he has cancer and going to take his life. But you notice that Jay hasn't changed the way that he loves people and the way that he walks with people. Why is that? Because he's transcendent to cancer through the ascension of Jesus Christ. But he's, he's eminent in among us. Jesus prayed, I don't want to take, you out, take them out of the world but in the world, let them be different. Let them be moved by my spirit. Let them be overcomers of addictions that want to overtake their life. Let them be overcomers of the things of this world. Let them live in such a way that they're not drawn into this world, but they're living above it and beyond it. That's the way that somebody says, there's something different about you. What is it? They can't get their hands around it. They can't get their minds around it. Because you should be suffering the same way I am. And you're not. Why? Because the ascended Christ. You know you're there already. You know where the home is. It's not on this earth. And you know the authority that you have in him. And you're living it out. It's time for the church to stand up under that. It's been defeated. It has been reduced. It has failed. But no more. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care where you think this place is going. We're going to tell Jesus, people about Jesus Christ here. And if God chooses to keep that door open, praise his name. If he doesn't, then we're going to do it in other places. But his name is going to get glory. Because living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Right? Rising, he placed my life in heaven. How can I fail? Let's live that way. Stand with me as we pray. Father, I just thank you uh, for this day. I thank you, Lord, in particular for one um, core team member who continued to be faithful with saying, this is such an important day, let's not mess it, let's not mess it. I thank you for her faithfulness, and I thank you, Lord, that you are here, and that, Lord, you are God of our life, and that you love us. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that you knew you were going to be here for a short time. I thank you for the fact of the benefits of the ascension in each of our lives. And Father, I thank you the fact that, that we can live, not of the world, but in it. Father, it is my express prayer that somebody in this room gets us so much.
That as they walk into a gas station, they walk into a store, they walk into work this week, they walk into uh, on, a, on a beach or, or with family or wherever we go in this next week, that they'll so believe this and that your ascension brings such expectation that they'll say to themselves, okay, God, who is it you want me to share you with today? Even in my own family, even in this community. God, I just thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I thank you, Lord, for the... Thank you, Jesus, for your ascension as you stand at the right hand of your Father. As you sit and stand and walk among here, Jesus, empower us, strengthen us, guide us, direct us. May your Spirit continue to open open our hearts up to the truth. And Lord, may our lives be changed and transformed because of the ascended Christ. We love you and we trust you for this. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.